Now, there are a number of things, there are a number of things which are marked distinctors or distinctions of individuals in the things which make them well, which make them them. So let's, let's we're going to have a wee look at some images and see if we can figure out who these individuals are from just looking at some of their defining features. So this is called minimalist art, by the way. So there's no faces or anything like that. It's just those distinctive features. So if you can see the screen behind me there, who, who is this? This is Charlie Chaplin. We can tell it's Charlie Chaplin because of the cane, because of the hat, and because of the tash. Now he had that tash before somebody else did, and it's important to note that as well. Now who is this? Does anybody know who this is? This is a fictional character. This is Marty McFly, Michael J. Fox. Um, Michael J. Fox plays Marty McFly in the Back to the Future series. And, and we can tell it's Marty McFly why. Because of his body warmer and his jeans combo. He was the one that made body warmers and jeans cool back in the day. And for those who are more sophisticated, a body warmer is a gilet these days, apparently. It's just a body warmer. But anyway. Then we move from Marty McFly, a fictional character, to a very real character, uh, a real life person. Who's this? This is Abraham Lincoln, of course. How can we tell that this is Abraham Lincoln? The hat and the beard, right? And he made top hats cool. Now, this is a wee bit more topical at the moment, but can anybody tell me who that is? Doctor Who. Specifically, who? David Tennant playing. Doctor Who, and we can tell it's Doctor Who and it's Tennant's Doctor because of the quiff, because of the brown trench coat, and because of the converse that are on his feet. Maybe some of us could tell, maybe some of us could, and that's okay. Lastly, because we can be here all day and we're here to learn about the Lord, right? Who's this? Winston Churchill. What? How could we tell that this was Winston Churchill? The hat? The cigar, the other iconic picture of him I couldn't show in church. Um, for those who know him, it, it includes two fingers, uh, so I couldn't show that one. But certainly we can tell that it's Winston Churchill because of the hat, because of the cigar in his mouth. And if we couldn't even get that, those of us who are eagle-eyed can see that underneath it, it has one of its famous phrases, never surrender. Now I'm starting to think I know where Ian Paisley got it from. But the reality is, the reality is that by simply looking at these minimalist images, we were able to identify who it was that these images were supposed to represent. Today, as we explore our penultimate week in our Deolingo series, we are doing so and looking at a few things which should be evident or key indicators in our lives as the people of God. Today, we are going to be looking at words like Christian holiness and entire sanctification, right? And don't glaze over it. I promise that it's not going to be as heavy or as bad as it sounds. But Christian holiness and entire sanctification. To be fair, holiness and sanctification are words which come from the mouths of preachers, lots, and lots, particularly in our theological tradition. And again, like many of the other words, 
we've taken the time to look at during this series, not an awful lot of time is actually spent explaining what these terms actually mean. Because, as I've said in previous weeks, sometimes preachers, including myself, can be guilty of assuming that everybody knows what they know. But actually, what do we mean whenever we talk about holiness? What do we mean whenever we talk about sanctification? Now, if these things are supposed to be key indicators of who we are as the people of God, it is definitely important that we begin to wrestle with understanding what they look like in reality and what they mean. And that's what we're going to spend the remainder of our time here today, this morning, doing. So an important starting point is that we must define what we mean by this word, sanctification. Okay? We believe that sanctification is the work of God which transforms believers into the likeness of Christ. We believe that sanctification is the work of God which transforms believers into the likeness of Christ. So whenever we talk about sanctification, we're talking about a transformative work of God through which we are made more like Christ. And there's a couple of important things for us to note from this short statement, okay? The first thing is that this is a work of God. This is a work of God. It's not something that we can do on our own or do in our own strength. In other words, it's impossible for you and me to achieve sanctification through good behaviour or rule keeping. Sanctification is very simply a miracle of the grace of God in our lives. It's a work of God. And secondly, it's a work of God, but it's also transformative. This miracle of God's grace brings transformation in our lives. Whenever God begins a work in our lives, we do not and cannot remain the same. The work of sanctification begins in our lives in that moment that we personally accept the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Once we accept him as Lord and as Saviour of our lives. In that moment we are told in the scriptures that the old is gone and that the new has come. We are given a new nature. We are born again of the Spirit of God. It's, though, it's as though someone hit the reset button. And we are given a fresh start. A blank canvas. A clean slate. As the work of transformation into the likeness of Christ begins in our lives. And this transformative work of God in our lives, it's both an instantaneous thing, it's something that happens like that, but it's also a continual process. We are sanctified and we are made holy, but we are also still being sanctified. We are still being made more and more into the likeness of Christ and being made holy. We are being blameless in the sight of God because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, but we are also being conformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. We experience a change of heart because our heart of metaphorical stone 
is replaced with a heart of metaphorical flesh. No physical heart transplant takes place. Okay? But in the spiritual realm, something happens. A heart that was once hard becomes a heart of flesh. And the incarnation of the new heart in Christ, unlike the old heart, is not deceitful and wicked, but is inclined towards the things of God, his goodness and his grace and his desires for our lives. One of the general superintendents of the Church of the Nazarene, Dr. David Busick, you may remember a few years ago, if you've been around the church for a wee while, that we journeyed through a journey of grace together, a, a, a discipleship paradigm that, that the church had produced. And David Busick said, as one of the parts of this, about sanctification. He said, sanctification is not an optional extra or an optional accessory for a disciple of Jesus. It is standard equipment for every model. Becoming like Jesus is expected because growth is not an option. We are always growing towards something. Always in the process of being spiritually formed. And if we are not being transformed, that is changed from the inside out by the renewing power of God. Then we are being conformed, that is shaped and molded by forces opposed to God that are loose in the world. See, sanctification is not an optional extra. This sanctification, whilst a transforming work of God, is also something which needs to be worked at and nurtured. Whilst God's Holy Spirit sanctifies us and gives us a new nature, we have a responsibility to tend to that new nature each and every day. To live into the calling that we have been given as children of God. For as we have often said, love does not force itself. And Jesus Christ, being love himself, does not force himself upon us. Christ will not force us to become more and more like him. And if we're not tending to our spiritual lives, his power in us becomes dormant and ineffective. Not because he is dormant or ineffective, but because he does not force himself upon us. There's a wee joke in my house and my wife's ears just went up a little bit. I say it's a joke in my house. I make the joke and Chloe only rolls her eyes. But there's, there's a wee joke in our house that flowers come to our house to die. For those who are maybe watching online and you're like, what's a flower? It's a flower, right? Flowers come to our house to die. Beautiful flowers, which are bought perhaps not as often as they should be. But beautiful flowers are bought and presented. Their stems are cut and trimmed they're put in a vase with flower feed and placed in private place on the mantelpiece, out of reach of the children, but also so that everybody can see them when they come to the house. And for a day or two, the flowers look beautiful in full bloom. 
And that's why we only invite people around so they can see how diligent a husband I am. I also need to go and buy flowers after this analogy, I think. But as the days pass, and as the busyness of life gets in the way, the flowers begin to become neglected. Not just by Chloe, but also by myself. For I have equal responsibility. And through neglect, they begin to thirst for water. Water that is not forthcoming, and they begin to wilt. And every time you go to water them, something comes up. Even the, the phone rings, the children are acting up, you get sidetracked, or something else grabs your attention. There are a hundred and one different reasons why, and none of them are all. But those flowers get neglected. It's unintentional. It was never supposed to be that way, but before long you're left with a bunch of dripping, wilted flowers on which the petals are beginning to wither and have become a little bit of an eyesore. It's not just my house that this happens in, by the way, and it's 95% my fault. But before long, we find ourselves looking at each other Normally after the kids are in bed and going, it's time. And the flowers make their final journey to the brown bed, where they will see out the remainder of their short days. Maybe, maybe you see yourself in that analogy. Maybe, maybe that's not just my house. But whilst this is an imperfect analogy, sometimes the journey of flowers and the rubbles in the household can be representative of the life of many Christians. A journey which starts out with such promise, but for the many right now has perhaps become stagnant, stuck, wilted, and even withered. Graham read to us earlier some of Paul's words to the church in Rome, where he writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And just as the problem with the Robinson household flowers was that we forgot to water them, the problem with living sacrifices is that we tend to get off the altar. And we tend to start doing our own thing. As we present our lives to God as a sacrifice, we're not going to be chopped up into a million pieces and blood is not going to be drawn from us because Paul again is talking in metaphors but rather we are acknowledging that sanctification as we get on that altar that sanctification this transformative work of God cannot happen without God and is not something which we can simply will into existence like a flower needs water to thrive and bloom so we as the people of God 
be the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to become more and more like Jesus. It is only whenever we come into an environment that we desire to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength and our neighbour as ourselves. When we get back on the altar as a living sacrifice and consecrate that is entirely to devote every part of our being and our lives to God. It's only then that we can experience the blessing of entire sanctification which is provided by the blood of Jesus and fashioned by grace through faith. Where his love is made perfect in our imperfect lives. As we experience the fullness of the blessing and experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we pure heart and we know deep within our very being we are all in for Christ. Church, I, I said it last week and I'll, I'll say it again this week. Following Jesus in this life is not high in the sky when you die. It's supposed to be safe on the plate while you wait. Right? Jesus came and laid down his life and rose again victorious that we might come to know him and have life and life in all of its glorious forms. Not a week passes that that is not said in some way, shape, or form from the front. And it's said time and time again because it is of the utmost importance. Life and life in all of its glorious fullness. That we might know Him, know Him deeply. And if the purpose of man, and, and people are always looking around for what their purpose is in life. It's one of the most Googled. Google is a verb these days. It's one of the, one of the most searched searches on Google. What is the meaning of life? What is my purpose on earth? People are looking for purpose. People are looking for meaning. And if the purpose of man, if the purpose of this life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, then we need to be living lives which reflect more of Christ each and every day. We should be looking like, acting like, living for Christ more this time next year than we are today. And that is only possible through the sanctifying grace of God, which is distributed by His Holy Spirit as we walk in step with Him. As we cooperate with Him and are being trained by constant practice, exercising the means of grace, such as prayer, the studying of Scripture, fasting, partaking in communion together, going through the waters of baptism, spending the time with other like-minded Christian people going and feeding the hungry, caring for the widow, clothing those who are naked, telling others about Jesus. And as we looked at last week, inviting them on the journey with you. And whilst we cannot sanctify ourselves or make ourselves more like Jesus, 
reminds us something beautiful happens when we cooperate with the Spirit of God. He himself, the Holy One, makes us holy as we offer ourselves to him in our entirety. But just like the flowers, if we're not paying attention to our growth in grace, this grace in our lives will begin to wilt. And it will begin to wither. And if we're not careful, this grace in our lives can ultimately be lost. And you don't need to tell me that this takes effort and it requires a constant denial of our own goods for God's best. It takes work. It metaphorically means watering the flowers even whenever there's so much around about us distracting us and drawing us and drawing our attention elsewhere. But don't worry. God's sanctifying grace is provided in those moments. God's deep desire is that you would know him. And that you would really know him. And so deep is that desire that he does everything he can to make that possible. So he gives of himself. He gives and gave rather of his son Jesus who laid down his life so that we could be reconciled, brought back into right relationship. He gives of his spirit, who walks with us and talks with us and tells us that we are his own, who convicts us, who shows us the right way to go. God provides his sanctifying grace time and time and time again. And Jesus meets us where we are by the power of his Holy Spirit and he refuses to leave us there if we're willing to go with him. It's important to dispel some myths, some myths that have happened down through the years. There have been those that have claimed that if we are entirely sanctified that we become sinless. We do not become sinless. We do not become perfectly perfect. We become imperfectly perfect. We become more like Jesus, but only he is perfect. It's not our own righteousness, but Christ within, living and reigning and saving from sin. We will still be tempted. We will still have pangs and old desires that might still raise their ugly heads. But God in his grace continues the good work that he began in us. And it will only be brought to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And he grants to us the ability and the power by his spirit to overcome. For we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus who loved us and bought our ransom. But we do not become sinless. We do, we do not. And it's important to dispel that myth right now. I love this quote. 
I can, I can tell you where I read this quote. I read this quote five years ago. In, I don't know, what a loser, right? I read this on my honeymoon in the line for one of the rides at Disney. I think it was Space Mountain. And it was like a two hour wait. I was sitting reading an iBook and it was JC Ryle book Holiness. And it says this. And this I do boldly and confidently say that true holiness is a great reality. It is something in a man or a woman that can be seen and known and marked and felt by all around them. It is light. If it exists, it will show itself. It is salt. If it exists, its savour will be perceived. It is a precious ointment. If it exists, its presence cannot be hid. Church, the call of God, I believe, to each one of us, myself included this morning, is this. Get back on the altar. Get back on the altar and let him sanctify us through and through. Only then will our light shine before men. Only then will the transforming power of Christ. The answer that our broken world seeks to fill the voids that are currently being filled with alcohol, with drugs, with cheap thrills, with sexual indulgence, with money, with stuff. Only then will the transforming power of Christ be seen in our lives. And people's entry will be stoked. And they will begin to seek the same renewal of mind and life for themselves. It is interesting, or at least I think it is. The first followers of Jesus never called themselves Christian. The first followers of Jesus never called themselves Christians. It was other people that called them Christians. We read in Acts 11, 26, that the disciples were called Christians first. They were called Christians first at Antioch. You see, and as we perhaps already know because it's been shared a number of times, Christian literally means little Christ. The people of Antioch saw Christ in those first disciples. So just as we saw a moustache, a hat and a cane and thought, that's Charlie Chapman, with a top hat and beard and instantly thought, that's Abraham Lincoln. Might the people of East Belfast look at us and the way that we live our lives and think of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. May his love be made perfect in our lives today as we devote ourselves entirely to the mission and to his kingdom. But most of all, as we devote ourselves entirely to him. Let's pray as the path. Lord, we thank you for your sanctifying work in our lives. We thank you that we can't do this on our own. We thank you that we can't just will ourselves to look and to act more like you, but that it is a transforming and transformative work 
of God in our lives. Lord, we pray today that you would make us more and more into your people. We get back on the altar. A people who seek you wholeheartedly and devote ourselves entirely to you. That we would be entirely sanctified. That we would experience that second work of your grace in our lives. And that, Lord, we would become more and more the people that you have called us to be. And we would become together the church that this community needs us to be. For such a time as this. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you again. To consecrate ourselves. To lay it, it all before you. To say, take my life and let it be. Consecrated, Lord, today. And that we would be a people who take seriously this call to holiness and holy We love you, Lord. And we thank you for your grace in our lives. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And if you're able to do so, I invite you to stand as we sing a great anthem of the church. Oh, 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 oh.